I found out too, I'm quite sure you probably went through this this a lot. Sometimes people think to be signed to you is that you become their daddy. Mm. Like you become their father. Like, mm. okay, you're signing me. You're supposed to put me on radio. You're responsible mm. for me getting the magazines. You are my dad. The record company means father. I don't care if you're managing a girl or a guy. It still means father. Mm. And that means you got to buy my food, breakfast, lunch. You got to change my diapers, my pampers. And you got to give me, you know, take me to the clinic to get my shots and stuff like that because you are my dad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Since the mid-80s, he's made music for the love of the art. Through the golden era, the infancy of the underground and into the proliferation of the genre, into pop culture's consciousness and beyond. He's maintained the dedication to the craft that has persevered. No matter the label or the era, music fans have continued to discover Keith Thornton. Whether old or young or those that didn't even know they were listening to hip-hop, they have been captivated by the man of many aliases, one with immense creative energy and extraordinary genius. Unlike most rappers who've taken on aliases derived from famous criminals, drug lords, dictators, and notorious gangsters in an attempt to raise their status and achieve fame through perceived association, Keith has effectively transformed into an alternating gallery of alter-egos and out-of-this-world personas. His approach has gone well beyond the use of aliases. Instead, he's morphed into each of these well-defined and lifelike characters that he's brought to a multitude of iconic projects. What helped differentiate him from the masses of rappers was simply that he always brought the most distinctive sounds and ideas to the table. From his rhyme delivery to his topics and themes, even his physical presentations were distinctive. Some artists are so unique that they stand out in almost every environment, and Cool Keith fits the bill. Whether taking the stage, wearing a cape, and donning a plastic wig, or throwing lunch bags packed with fruit juice and snacks to the audience, even those that expect the unexpected are generally taken by surprise by this underground icon. However, don't mistake his zany antics for mere shock value or gimmicky ploys. He's multidimensional. Keith has been mimicked by many and he's influenced even more in various genres. His voice has been sampled by electronic bands. He's toured with platinum-selling rock bands and his music has been used in major motion pictures. In many ways, he's provided a roadmap for rap artists to break free of stereotypes and cover new ground. His abstract lyrics have led listeners from the corridors of other galaxies through the fantasy of Hollywood and back to the hardcore streets of the genre's birth, the Bronx. Each project is like a welcome mat to Keith's world, a place where the plastic gets melted, the blunted gets sobered, extraterrestrials are embraced and whack MCs get served every time. Don't take my word for it. Listen to one of the most well-known artists in the genre. In his hit song Monster featuring Rihanna, Eminem referenced the legend of Cool Keith. Find your favorite rappers and ask who influenced them. Then get those rappers inspirations. Chances are Keith is on those lists. It is my pleasure to present the Cool Keith 2020 interview. Man, it's been, what, 35 years that you've been in, in the industry? Uh, 35 years, maybe probably more. So if somebody were to tell you in the mid-ish 80s that in 2020 you would still be doing this thing, would you have believed them? I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't really think that way I would. I, I was, um, I think I would be doing beats or something in music or having artists, which I had already did have artists. But, um, I, 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 I think I would be in some part of music because I, 
I love making music naturally and, and not, you know, just naturally I love making music. Right. But um, I would be in some part of music starting to feel good about doing everything in music, you know, doing my own music, doing videos, not being with a record label. I wasn't with a record label for like a good 10 years now. I know. And other artists still, you know, can't even get the, you know, they under all types of umbrellas and stuff like that. And, and I still be doing it without, without, um, without being to a late on a label. Do you think that there's anything missing from, your career by not being affiliated with a quote-unquote proper record label well the machine is always going to have a little bit of extra stuff that they you know they can force down people's throats the machine is always going to have that you know and some probably political uh some political uh decisions of course the machine will always have maybe a little more but sometimes maybe i've lubricated my career in the industry so much with with content that uh, I think I'm already in the system already basically like you know people are accustomed to me having so much music out that they're interested anyway so uh, a lot of my projects was very successful and stuff like the Black Elvis album and Dr. Octagon and you know those things went on to be like major put major dents in the industry for my for my credibility to spin off and keep doing other stuff so it's just that some people had got caught up in those records more but you know you have to learn that it's other stuff that i'm doing because you know as time grow you grow up musically you grow up when you were young you wanted to prove that you're the lyrical king and you know you can say a hundred words a hundred miles an hour and you know you want to rap 300 miles an hour and you know people were impressed but after a while you got to go up and make some records you know records with choruses and sometimes get mature you pick out different songs you want girls to listen to them girl ain't riding around listening to like a rapper rapping 300 miles an hour so you got kids that's now doing that and you know it's impressive the acrobatics and the word acrobatics you know you grow out of it but you still can do it but it's like when you first get nurtured into the music industry your mind is not set on making a record you're still trying to prove you're lyrical what do you think it is about a lot of your peers i mean clearly there are a lot of folks out there from the golden era that are still doing their thing however there are a lot of folks that you know are more so kind of embedded in the history but they're not necessarily continuing to grow and develop and and in some cases not even really releasing new music on a fairly regular basis i'm, I'm so happy you asked me that question um well a lot of people were basically stuck in their epic moments i mean which is you know i could have done the same thing too and you know i could have lived off a critical beatdown for the rest of my life but that life was a more me in high school you know it's like i can't live off my album all the way through different moments of my life. Like I can't go through seasons and seasons and dimensions and dimensions with the same album on my mind. So I I, I, I know what people are. Some people, like you said, they can't grow no more. They're stuck in that time zone. And, and you end up going to a lot of events where it's like a family reunion. People want to talk about the old album. And, you know, when the SB12 and said G had the machine and, you know, when you wore your choo-choo train hat and, you know, you had the Budweiser hat on on Critical Beatdown, you know, and those were the times. And, you know, you can't really have that in your mind. Like, some people live off of their albums forever like that. But me, I choose not to because there's so much music out and variety in the world that it's very interesting. I mean, it's so much music out, so much good music, so many good producers. You know, even when I worked with you on the Nagako and stuff, it's like so many other producers and so much other stuff in in this world. Like, there's so much variety to, that I can't. It's impossible for me to get caught up in that moment of that time of that album, you know? Do you think some of it is also that there's this stereotype in hip-hop and and I, I, I think I first kind of like realized 
how prevalent it was. Speaking of Nagako, we were doing press, and I don't remember if it, it was a it was a major magazine. It might have been Spin or it might have been Rolling Stone. And they mentioned something like they asked you a question, and I and I noticed that it irritated you. It was a question like, you know, like are you too old to keep doing this or, or something like that? And you were you were your response was like. You know, you wouldn't ask somebody and rock that. You wouldn't ask, you know, yeah. Keith Richards that from the Rolling Stones. Do, do you remember that? And, and right, how do you right. feel about that? Not to be uh, prejudiced or nothing like that. It happened. I mean, it happened with. It started with your own people. Like I, black people had the theory of. Sometimes I, you know, I talk to my girl. She laughs about it. It's it's the syndrome of the old uh, evolution of man is to say, well, you know. Well, you should get old, settle down. And they had that for rap, too. Like, well, what you got to fall back on um, theory and you shouldn't make records forever. You know, it's time for you to turn into, uh, you know, start cooking, you know, sausages on out in the yard and, you know, setting up the grill because it's time to do that. Because rap, rap, like, it's not nowhere compared to rock or any other, you know, it's time, like rappers should have a, a moment where they let uh another rapper take over like like you look at like Vince Carter still playing ball right now like like LeBron James is still playing like the NBA just let you grow and stay in the NBA now it's like the kids learn from playing with him LeBron James or something like that but in in rap they supposed to say well with black people were saying well let the new kids take it over but and you still look younger than them. So your youth still is there. Like, you look younger than them. You still have, you know, your abilities to rap on beat, soul, your body, your look, your swag, the way you dress. You still... So you just want to let somebody come in and just say all kinds of stuff, you know, and take it for that and be like, well, I give up and I'm just going to let them say, you know, stuff that don't make no sense or barely rhyme properly. So I suppose... the you know, I supposed to lose my starting spot for that reason. Like, I supposed to get out my starting spot because somebody else want to come in and, you know, throw the ball over the basket, not shoot the ball in the hoop. They want to throw it over the basket. They want to barely shoot. They want to, you know, it's just like in a form of basketball, it doesn't apply. Like, they want to do it their way now. So they want to, you know, rap about drugs and you know they want to somebody want to come and bring in you know i'm gonna start mixing all kinds of toxics and put that on the song so you might have your own rap style that you should move over and let somebody else come in and talk about toxics and drugs and you know i you know instead of like you know one time you were selling drugs now you're taking drugs while you rap so I supposed to move over and let somebody come say i'm i'm gonna take drugs while i rap I'm gonna mix up all kinds of chemicals and take them and give them to the girls and poison the community. So I suppose to move over for that. So do you think part of the reason that it, the perception is that it's a quote unquote young person's game is also the subject matter? So, for example, you know, the one thing that I believe that fans of yours uh, cherish your music for is that you never stuck with the stereotypes you and you always grew right like you you were talking about all this space futuristic stuff back in the 80s and you continued to evolve and twist and bring in all kinds of sounds and genres into your music where a lot of hip hop kind of stays stagnant do you think that part of it is also the fact that most hip hop kind of stays in that that youth lane lyrically and content wise that older folks just kind of grow out of it you can be silly all you want in your life or you can mature and have a uh you can have everything you can be flexible you can be an artist that go in and out you could be you know you could be lyrical you know you could be the lyrical man the dazzler you can make love records you know see i had to i wanted to expand myself to feel like I can make all kinds of songs. Like I, I it was no, you know, and I, when I went to California, it opened me up very well. Cause if I was in New York, I think New York didn't groom, didn't groom itself to be a city 
it, it seemed like it had to set a state of everything had to be pure hip hop, which is no such thing. Like rock bands is all kinds of rock. It's all is you know is is ACDC rock is is heavy metal. You got Alice Cooper in them. You got you know Gene Simmons. You got you know like you got Kiss. You got you know you know then you got the Youth Sum Forty One. You got uh you know you got so many varieties of rock, but it's still rock. So rap wanted to be one thing. Rap is supposed to be just you know we we fold our hands and bop our heads to the music, which we couldn't have no other genre. We couldn't do love songs. We couldn't do um. You know, when the other music came and we couldn't change and rap on the fast beats, the electronic beats, we couldn't rap on, uh, you can't rap on any other converted sounds that are coming out now and on to the future, EDM and all that stuff and trap, everything. To me, if you're a rapper, you can do anything you want. It's still rap. What were the aesthetics that you were feeling when you moved over to L.A. in the 90s? Uh, I went to L.A. when I signed the Capitol. You know, when I had the million dollar deal with me and Cutmaster Kurt signed the Sexta album, which we ended up getting the album back anyway. But when I got to California, my music vision got broader because, you know, California, the sun and the palm trees, it made me think more. You know, you can, you know, you forgot like a lot of things came from California, like just the openness of making music, you know different bands and different things and it made me feel a little more open to make other music when new york was more like um new york was more by rules but i broke a lot of the rules you know when i did octagon and stuff like that i broke rules which was very successful i mean the dressing rules clothes you know clothing image rules you know rap was always supposed to have been a b-boy with his hat turned to the side or you had to look like um, you had to have a chain, which to me, rap still is fly. Jewelry and folding arms and wearing the flies clothes. But rap has changed in the future as people are dressed more modern. They might have a you know a little different wear on, little funny pants or something like that. A little everything got a little weirder, but it's still supposed to be jewelry, chains, and a look. You know, and, and, it, and, it, and it was copied, like even the boxers, the basketball players, the NFL players, everybody copied really the image of a rapper. After the beginning of the 80s, when gangster rap started to proliferate hip hop, both East Coast and West Coast gangster, it seemed like that was the dominant sound. And the thing mm -hmm. about you was that you were always taking it to a different space. And in my opinion, feel free to correct me, I think that is what gravitated not only you know, true hip hop heads, but also folks that maybe would have never listened to hip hop to become fans of Cool Keith. I remember it had to be in the 90s. I was at the Warp Tour with you uh -huh. and we were standing and talking by one of the trailers and I seen this dude, he was like a middle-aged 50 maybe year old biker that was a fan of cool keith like to me that was something uh -huh. i hadn't seen before your approach to music and and kind of breaking away from the stereotypes is what kind of brought in your fan base outside of the obvious people that would be fans of of hip-hop like one time a guy gave me a jar of pink pickles like ju the juice the juice was pink inside the jar and he just gave me a giant like a big barrel like at those when you see on your job with the big water tank he gave me a, a jar of pink pickles so you know I, I and this was like around black elvis time and i was like i said well damn what i'm doing is attracting weird people you know i, I think i was in dr octagon when i rapped about something so i was i would get a lot of weird gifts on the tour bus and took it as these people were feeding back to me what i give out and it was different kind of people. But like you said, people would bring turtles on the bus and give them to me. And <laughs> In many ways, I think that approach that you had to breaking the barriers brought in your reach to people that maybe would have never liked hip hop. So I think that's that's a pretty awesome thing in many ways. And feel free to correct me if you think I'm wrong. I think that's what also brought folks maybe from the rock community and the EDM community to reach out to you 
and and do music with you as well, and maybe they wouldn't have done it with other artists. Yeah, yeah. I was watching things in, in a, from a long distance. I was noticing that I could do all kinds of things. You know, I do an EDM concert. I do. I was on a lot of bills with all kinds of varieties of genres of music, um, different things. Uh, EDM or alternative or rock, and I think that's why a lot of the rock bands were interested in, in me and. Um, a lot of the different bands, alternative and a lot of electronic bands, a lot of electronic artists and all kinds of variety of artists, including the regular, you know, my home base of music and rap in general. I, it was funny, the, there's so many variations of me doing music. Uh, it opened me up to meet so many different people. And in many ways, I, I, I think that you kind of set a trend for those artists that also wanted to break away or or kind of take pieces of of your uh your persona to kind of reinvent themselves so just that in and of, in, in and of itself the persona thing right different names you had to be one of the first people that i know of that was taking on different personas and then it seemed like it became a thing well what happens is that like you said the ideas i had um I think people that had a lot of artists with the bigger machines, you know, they capitalized and, and went on to uh, go on with their lives and steal what I'd done and take it and then, you know, project it back out to the public. Like that artist per se started that trend or whatever trend they're doing that I, I've created. So what happened was a lot of people ended up using, um, using their outlets to take what I had to broadcast it national after a certain amount of time when, like you said, maybe I had cooled off or something. They tend to, they had tended to take it and utilize it within the, the margin of the, the big record labels to steal it and project it to people in a rude way to say, Oh, we did this. This is where this started from. And this is where that started from. So, People don't mind stealing in in the business now because a lot of people don't have ideas. They don't mind stealing something from you. So, you know, and then people used to ask me the question, "What do I? How do I feel about it?" I mean, it's no way. I, how could I feel about people that stole stuff? So, and it's just it's just like it's just like the um the force, like when you watch the shows like VH1 and stuff like that. All the stuff like they don't have the proper Bible testaments inside the um and you know they rip scriptures out the bible so which is like which is really bad like you can't really mm-hmm. pull books out mm-hmm. the bible you can't rip genesis out and deuteronomy and all these chapters out and and then try to still put the book out for people to read and sell so that's what they did that's what they did so what happened is um you know even when you notice that like i don't know if it was the label like I like you know when I had watched a lot of the um say the you know the discography of rap like you know it's like not to say Def Jam was bad it seemed like the whole thing a lot of these things mm-hmm. was based off of Def Jam's bio right like it was just Def Jam's bio like when you see like they have the same you know when the shows pick up things and all the shows pick up a a, a documentary or they pick up something it seemed like it was going by Def Jam's bio you you can't really do a a bio just on the label's bio like you can't just say well okay Run DMC it started from Run DMC on down and then it went to you know when and it, 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 and it ends off on the BT Boys and whoever right. and all the way down of you know it was just Def Jam artists but I think you know the networks ran with with a bio from Def Jam to put on the national music to, to project around schools, it was just all of Def Jam was hip hop. They had the biggest marketing machine, I would imagine. Yeah, but it was just bad that it was just poor. It was not like any truth in it at all. Def Jam was not the whole um, scenario of the music industry. Because you had Big Daddy Kane, you had 
You know what I'm saying? You had artists like you had artists that put a lot of work in and stuff. You you know, even Ultra and stuff, they just made it like it was just Def Jam's whole scenario was the whole evolution of, you know, for people to watch and kids to learn in school and which is kind of bad because they got to go back and do like the right research. But that was like, you know, to me, that seemed very like. It's kind of like almost criminology kind of put in those terms. Someone like a KRS-One, right? Like KRS-One obviously is a, a important, he's an important part of the hi- history of hip hop. However, you don't hear his name as much as maybe some of the others that were signed to Def Jam. So I, I definitely agree with that. Well, that, that Bob's just saying, when you watch those VH1 things and all that stuff, it's a lot of crap because it's just that they bought they bought they bought Def Jam's bio and made it like and try to make it more like it was the national it was the whole national the blueprint of the music. You know, only thing they took was they put Run DMC and they added it to Def Jam's bio and it was like I, I don't that was like a to me that's when I saw music got corrupt. Like it's cool to do that, but it was not like that's not the whole. You know, that's not the program, like, for for the kids to really learn from. That wasn't the, the program. Like, a lot of stuff was pulled out of it, you know, like, you know, because you had a lot of, you had a lot of groups on other labels that that played a very important part of that stuff being built. So if you, if you had to put, let's just say hypothetically, you had to put together a curriculum of artists that people needed to study if they wanted to understand hip-hop, Outside of the obvious, who are some of the names? Obviously, Ultra Magnetic MCs, but who are some of the other names that you think are omitted? That should have been a part of that stuff. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, Divine Sounds. I mean, you right. could go on and Super Lover C, uh, um, Special Ed. Uh, it's like it's a whole lot of stuff. I mean, in general, like it wasn't just the Beatsy Boys and. And just what Def Jam had, it's just based on Def Jam. It's, it's, it was other labels and stuff. Uh, Mantronics. Oh, I mean, time. you know, I'm, I'm just saying it's just, it's just, a, it's just, a, it's sadly that it's, it's like criminology. Mm-hmm. It's total. It was, it was a rap ripoff. Mm-hmm. Schoolie D. You can't. I mean, you can't. Like you said, you can keep going. It's, it's. It was a rap ripoff. And it's and it's a shame like the kids are getting like uh, some artificial information all over the world, all over the world, and people are buying it like you know they selling that like that like forever. And I think somebody should be ashamed of of themselves. So so do you think that it was mainly about about marketing then? Because ultimately people know what's marketed. Well, it was the mar- well, they, they was the they was well they was the machine. But they, it still was criminal. I mean, you, just because you have the market and power don't mean you have to still, uh, you don't have to steal the, the historical blueprint of what's going on in general. Like, you don't, you don't steal the le- legacy of what's going on either. Like you said, you don't, you don't go do something like that. I, I, I think this rule, it's like, it's like you writing some pages in the Bible and stapling them in your own self. That's how I see it. When you, when you're in those circles, in those industry circles, do you have some of your peers acknowledge that and talk to you about that, about the fact that they feel that you didn't get the proper due that you deserved, or maybe that they didn't get the proper due that they deserved? Um, I didn't think of it like that. I was thinking that you know, I, I wasn't, I was, I wasn't bitter about it. I was the only thing I was just mad about that. How could they like to this day? use like inaccurate information and, and project it out to colleges and schools and and, and 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 um you know all kinds of you know and put it in books and magazines and and, and really ship that stuff out it's like synthetic drugs it's like you said you know you sending out like you you know you putting pills in a bottle that's not even penicillin but on the label it says penicillin but you putting some other kind of pills in the bottle right that's how I see it. So, so talk to me a little bit about your motivation, man. So here we are, 
and 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 35 years in and honestly i don't think you've ever been more prolific you're always you don't stop releasing content you always have new music out and that's something that you just don't see from artists in hip hop that have been around for decades so what what would you say is that not only keeps you motivated but what continues to inspire you to make new music well i like you know i love the challenge of of especially music i love the challenge of all kinds of music challenge of any kind of music the challenge of different music i think a lot of people from my time and different times they don't have the drive because they got caught up with the um the system of what it should be in the rules. The rules is one thing that will make you not do anything. So people are stuck in the rules and they, they might, may have had um, a lot of criticism or they scared to do something new because it's a shock and times have changed. And like you said, I think a lot of artists spend a lot of time working on a song. You know, the kid, the new kids, they just work on the record and they put it out. Whereas when you get older, you get the, um, a lot of these guys get the uh, Quincy Jones feeling in their brain and their their mind get you know you know back you know I noticed the difference of producers when you met like if you met like Nile Rogers or something and you met Quincy and them and you met a lot of people like you know I used to go to studios and I worked on like albums and stuff with um. Uh, you know, when you, like say somebody worked on Janet Jackson's album, those guys, you know, they, oh man, we worked on that album for like 10 years now. You know, we worked on that album for 10, 20 years. So, and they believe they don't want to put a record out. It's no time to put a record out because they believe in like taking it to big studios and mixing it down with a theory. Like you have to work on a record for a long time. And I think a lot of people developed that theory of those those producers back then and the people now and it and it, and it kind of stagnated people from putting out new stuff because they were stuck in that time of believing that good music needs to be worked on a long time you know i didn't believe in those rules the rules were like you know work on this thing so long you continue to create non-stop is there something specific that inspires you to do something that hasn't been done before? Um, the me seeing people getting close to what I'm doing, like, like you know, I don't, I, I don't feel like you know, I don't panic and be like, well, okay, it's the person now that's doing a crazy style or something like that because I know it's not gonna last that long because I'm like, you know, music is supposed to last so you have to think more professional and say okay let me do something that makes me feel good and makes me happy i'm not going to compete whereas a lot of people now i think when you when you're a rookie and stuff like you just learn in the business you are more competitive so you're trying to you're in a uh, you know you're in a box with a lot of guys that want to show that they can be like you said, lyrical acrobatics all of a sudden. Like, it's, it's a box of those guys, like, lyrical acrobatics. So you get caught up in it, too. Like, I mean, it, it, it'll be a, a time that you have to mature out of it. Like, you, you can't get out of it yourself. You have to mature out of it. You know, you start realizing, like, I'm not making records for other means. I'm not making records for the girls. I'm not making records for myself. You can box yourself in mentally. And not be knowing you're boxing yourself in. I've realized that. So me, my motivation is to stay away from that. And don't worry, let them stay in that box for a long time until they realize it's too late. You know, and you got a lot of people. And and it's a lyrical box. It's a fashion box also in music, too. Like, the fashion box is like um, those people, they stuck in a certain dress code mode from, like, 92. So... They feel they should could wear a black dirty t-shirt. Uh, you know, their minds are not trying to advance from the moment. You know what I'm saying? Indeed, no question. And that clearly is also something about your career is that you always brought new looks to the table. So talk to me about that. I mean, as far as your fashion sense, 
Where does that come from? Even June Ambrose one time told me, like, we went to go shopping for clothes. And she was like, Keith, you pick out your own clothes. And that's really good about you. And we used to go shopping for, the, you know, the clothes for, like, the, the videos and the pictures. And, and I used to have my clothes and stuff already ready. And she used to be like, you know, I, I'll pick out something. And she, she like, Keith, you don't really need a stylist. You, um, your clothing is so cool. You don't need a stylist. And I respected her saying that. And she became one of the most biggest stylists in the music industry to this day. Mm, interesting. In regard to your music, your music not only obviously has influenced uh-huh. tons, tons of artists and even movements, but also has been used in countless films and television and video games. Uh-huh. Are there other, and you've been in movies, are there other mediums, are there other outlets that you oh yeah at. i was in a movie I, you know i'm I mean, not, not to cut you off but just to correct the people i was in um uh, that movie you know kim shamrock kim shamrock yeah champions uh, boy, i they didn't sell it i had to find it on dvds they had two dvds of it i was on champions which was on hbo and showtime that was the mm-hmm. movie i did with peter peter brunt i think it was peter brunt peter brunch and uh my boy adrian miller hooked me up with it i i played like a a manager of a boxer. You saw Champions too? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was on TV for it was on um Showtime and HBO for a minute. Right. It was on Showtime and HBO. It was really big. You know, it was like a, you know, and uh, what's the name played in it? You know, the Mexican actor, um, Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh-huh. so it was like, you know, Kim Shamrock. It was a very good experience. And oh, that was in LA when I was making music. You know. When I was in L.A., I wasn't caught up as an actor. You know, I didn't go to L.A. to act. And, you know, I stuck to my, my, my pro career. You know, I stuck to my career as, a, as me just doing music and stuff. And that, like, says, that says a lot because so many, so many artists, especially hip-hop artists, you know, they get a chance to get on TV and they literally forget about their music career. So that says a lot about you, that you were true to your art. Yeah, I didn't, you know, change from the art. You know, a lot of people got caught up with changing, like, but you said they did it for different reasons or whatever, economical, different things, you know. That's why sometimes, you know, I I respect a lot of artists who, you know, who stuck making their music and stuff, you know, which is not nothing wrong with acting or going into, you know, being a comedian or Broadway play or nothing like that. But like you said, to focus on the music because, it just seems like sometimes when you do that and then you try to make music, it just sounds more artificial after that. Like you don't, you could tell like the person has been away from the art a long time. So, and a lot of people that started in music forgot about how they started or forgot how they got into movies and got, forgot how they got into being a comedian, Broadway play or whatever, you know, whatever, channel you switched over you forgot the original channel that made you you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. yeah in regard to hip-hop and hip-hop's growth it's kind of interesting because from my perspective Uh back in the back in the 80s i think there was more variety there was more depth in hip-hop and then we kind of got narrow cast as we were just talking about into this very gangster world however Uh Every time I talk to anyone, and this starts with you ages ago about Europe, it always seems like that is the place that still inherently appreciates the essence of hip-hop and hip-hop culture. What are your thoughts on that? When I was traveling everywhere, I used to think that hip-hop was was different in other places. Like, But when I, I found out the world got synchronized and commercialized. Like, you would go to places and be like, it's the same now. Like, when you go to Europe, you'd be like noticing they're going to have a, a open mic club. They're going to have a, a freestyle place, an underground spot. So you don't feel that Europe right now is, is still on that true hip-hop essence tip? No, not at all, because... um. The kids have grown, they changed, you know, the, the, the people that was rapping had kids, you know, mm. the, so the kids didn't 
take form to the music that they were doing, they went into what's going on now. Like, I mean, even trap is big in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, besides, like you said, the EDM and whatever, the house music, but the kids are going, it's artists that you would never think now are going to Europe that you never thought would be able to go to Europe. Mm-hmm. Like, and going packing shows and stuff like that. So, like you said, the transition, that was the hard part for the artists that came out before what's going on now. The, the transition is the hardest part. They can't make the transition, which is hard. And, and, and it's like, it, it's sad to say, like you said, I, I was I was surprised because I even spoke to um, my boy in Paris. He was like, he was like, like rappers, like, you know, like pure rappers totally dead in Paris because of the commercialism of the radio and stuff like that. Like the commercialism stuff has taken over so much that the promoters had even bowed down to to rather take a, a commercial act or then, then, what's what's going on and what and what's happening? To me, I made more fun out of it than the complain. Like peers, they more complain about it. They more feel like, well, I can't do it. I'm mad. I don't know how to get with the new program. It's just like a phone. Like when you know, some people still got a flip phone and they flipping it and they can't make an adjustment. Indeed, and that is one thing that I think anyone that is a cool Keith fan knows that you've continued to evolve and you've continued to bring new ideas to music. So I love to hear a little bit about some of the things that you have going on now and where, where do you see yourself going in, in the future? I mean, obviously you don't stop making music. I mean, you got it coming through nonstop. We're always posting a new video. We always have a new single. We always have a new project. So what's next? I, I, to me, I say all kinds of things. I'm, I, I love, you know, I might start doing videos myself. I got a camera. You know, I, I got into being more creative because, like you said, it, it can get, you can let yourself get boring if you not attend to something to do. So I like to feel, like, productive. A lot of people don't feel productive. You know, they you know they let themselves go appearance-wise. You know, they start letting, you know, they don't shave. They don't go to the barber shop no more. They just feel like, you know, I'm going to live off the time. Um, I, I, I don't get caught up in that. I feel motivated. You know, I feel like, you know, I feel productive. I like to do stuff like that. Listen to what I haven't done or tried. And it's good. It's, it's very nourishing for me. You know, it's healthy because I don't want to be like everybody else. And they all feel like they they going by a certain rule that they go by, you know, because we do have a rule, which I'm trying to avoid and get rid of because I don't want to go by the so-called rules. You know what I'm saying? I think genres, right? Genres are almost like rules because you're saying this is what this is supposed to be like. Like a lot of people think they're doing something different. Like in their mind, they think they're being different as an image because, but when you really look at it, it's kind of a trend, but everybody's doing what they do. So they look the same because like one day I was on Hollywood Boulevard and, you know, the kids was up there walking and he had his head twisted. It was all blonde. He had, like, skinny pants on, like, sex pistols. And then what happened was, you know, you could wear skinny pants, but it's, it's the point is, are you really different? But when I seen the kid, right, and I kept walking past him, I seen more that looked like him. And I seen more that looked like him. I seen others. I seen another kid with a skateboard. So, and but in their mind, individu- individually, they think they're different. That's what the that's the trick. Like you got a lot of people that come out like that. You know, they might have like an afro or something, and they think they're the only guy with an afro. You be wanting to tell them, Did, didn't you know Mod Squad from Link had an afro? Then you know Jim Kelly had an afro, motherfucker. Like didn't you know um. You know what I'm saying? Then you know uh, everybody had fucking afros. Then you know Michael Jackson had an afro, motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? But to him, he think like he bought out the afro and he want to get a record deal 
and have you think he was the first motherfucker out with an afro. And it's like everything. It's like, the, you know, it's like people trying to do something somebody did. Like if you turn in a hippie artist, it's like you like, okay, I seen Trial Call Quest do that. You know what I'm saying? Indeed. I seen De La Soul do that. I seen, you know, whatever it is, you said you seen it. It's like, but they trying to make it like new. Like they're trying to fool you or whatever the machine behind the, the person is trying to uh, persuade you to think that's different. And you be like, you said, you've like, you seen that before. I don't follow the trend. The trend will leave. But a lot of people follow the trend. They feel like, well, you know, it's time to let my hair grow down to the back of my ass. Okay, that's in style now. Let me let my hair grow down to the back of my ass. <laughs> so, And then people follow it, and they think it's different. But then everybody got their hair growing down to the back of their ass. Okay, it's a million people. You know, artists all over got their hair growing down to the back of their ass. So you don't have to do that. Like me, I won't get caught up with that. I'll be like, okay, everybody got their hair growing down to the back of their ass right now. But I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm going to be like, this shit going to be over in a minute. Then you got the people that really are not comfortable with doing none of that. So they try to, you know, they'll tattoo their face up. They'll color one side of their hair green and the other side be purple. And then you start making yourself look like a fool. Then you put like all kinds of tattoos and earrings through your nose. So you're trying to make yourself so different. But you know what's funny about those people? Mm. Their, their music sound like shit. But they, <laughs> they try to make people, they try to make themselves look like they got different music. The only thing is that your music sound like shit. And then you try to make yourself look different. So you want people to say, oh, you look different. So your music must be different. And you're, you know, your whole... Music must be like some brand new shit, but it's the point that you're fooling me with your image. You look different. You got purple. One side of your head is purple. One side of your head could be, um, like you said, psychedelic. And then you got like earrings all in your nose and you got like tattoos on the side of your temples. And, you know, you got a bunny little, you know, logo on your chin or some shit, you know, that you got a tattoo or something. But then you listen to their music, it sounds like shit. So you like... You fool me with your image because that's the image you think that people got interested with. Like, oh, this guy must be very different. But his music sounds the same as the next man. What do you think about the state of hip hop culture right now? You know, I think in many ways, hip hop culture, quote unquote, is really what people think the industry is. Well, hip hop culture got like two brackets right now. You got the handicap bracket and you got... um. This, um, the motivation bracket. The handicap bracket is, um, you know, the people that go to like a freestyle convention, a cipher spot, a guy want to walk around with like a vinyl of like an old record from the past all day in his hand, and then he's like, he won't get out of the time zone or the time warp, and he want to like badger somebody or put a thumbs down on somebody that's doing something successful or new or anything that's a part of change and you know his it's, it's, those are the thumbs down people they're mad at anybody doing something new or or anybody transitioning and then you got the people that's more motivated they're more like they still in the trend of um they trying to do whatever they can to look brand new and different and they all going by like you know they're basing themselves behind one person to follow a trend or the singing point or whatever they're doing they be like okay like you don't have like a distinctive voice no more so you're saying this the state of hip-hop you're saying is stagnant yeah 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 it's like it's, it's just like yeah, but they but that's the thing to be cool is to sound like somebody. Like it, it's cool, and their and their thing is the successful to them is the sound. You, if you sound like somebody, you good. That's the, but that's the successful thing. Even the labels have adjusted to to say, well, we got us a sound alike. You know, it was always a duplication. You get a lot of duplications anywhere. Everybody can make a duplication. So that is the marketing thing now. So. And what happened was, even with Europe, not alone 
the hip hop and other artists that blew up big in America going over there, you know what happened really different? That they got their own artists now. They said, you know, fuck that. We learned your formula. Now we got our artists now. We don't need you no more. That's why you got to be totally good to travel worldwide, which I, you know, which I've conquered and, you know, for years traveling around the world and traveling all over, like to conquer international. They got their own. I mean, the Dutch, the Dutch don't even want rap. They got their own raps. You know, these places like Tokyo and all kinds of places, they done made their own stars. So you got to be in for a surprise. You come from America and you think you're a big star and you go over there and get off the plane and you find somebody bigger than you once you got off the plane and you all souped up like, yo, I've got the hottest record in America. I'm hot as fuck. And you get off the plane and they introduce you to the hottest motherfucker and you think you're hot in America and then you get over there and nobody knows who the fuck you are. <laughs> you know that's that that I like to see a lot of artists' faces. Probably I wish I could see their faces when they see that. You're the hottest motherfucker in America, and you get off the plane somewhere else, and you ain't shit. <laughs> so in many ways, I think that's also because of how fragmented media is. Right, yeah. once upon a time, radio you know, controlled everything. Yeah. Today, you know, we have a million different radios because of the internet. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, everybody, you know, everybody want to be a radio station now. Everybody's a radio station. They were good as independent, independent setups to get people started, but it, then it was the curse that came with it because it, it allowed anybody to get involved. Mm -hmm. You know, the NBA don't have, like, the NFL, like, they don't have, like, a whack guy come in to try out for the Jets off the street. You know what I'm saying? And music has allowed that. Mm -hmm. So that's when we lost the control. At least, the, at least when the labels was out, they had control of what was coming into the industry. Now it's they letting a lot of trash mixed with good stuff in there. So you really got to go through your garbage to find good stuff. Like you really got to sit in your yard for a long time. Like, let me look through this garbage for some, some good shit. Like, you know, your wife calling you inside, like come out that yard. Like you really got to go out and look for like some good stuff in the garbage. Like it's like so much garbage, but you got to stand out there all day and look through the garbage. <laughs> Can you imagine you got big gloves on and boots looking through like garbage to find good shit. And it, and it is good shit in there. It's, it's just like, but it's caught up with garbage. Tons of garbage where we need the sanitation truck to come around and pick up this garbage. Huh? <laughs> so, Keith, I would love to get some parting words from you for everyone out there checking you out to tell them what they need to be looking for and uh, what they need to anticipate from Cool Keith in 2020. Well, you know, I got another album coming out um it's called um, Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, you know, I think what happened is that I, I transitioned. I know people probably said, didn't you just have the album Keith out? And didn't you just have a uh, feature magnetic project? But the only thing was with the albums was that I think, you know, marketing-wise, you know, for me, doing all the things that I've done in the past, people don't listen to what I'm doing. And the ideas that I had and the ideas that I want to do is sometimes ignored. The ideas are ignored because when you notice when I was in LA with Cutmaster Kurt, I was doing a lot of things. You know, I didn't have labels then. I, I put out like um, Matthew by myself, Dr. Doom, and, and, and Octagon until DreamWorks picked it up, really. Me and I started on that project myself. That's why I said, I think. I got the, the album Saxon Avenue coming, but the reason why I'm telling you this is because the ideas I had is what made me today. The ideas back then is what made me today, putting out those records. I probably would have been out the industry if I didn't put out those records myself and take the money out my pocket and put it into my career to put those albums together 
in, in Octagon and me and Minelik starting it from scratch. Because like you said, like I made Automator who he was to this day. I made Automator go on to work with the Gorillas. Like I, 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 at that time, I, I could take an unknown producer and make an unknown producer famous. You, I mean, you've influenced a lot of people, but you also, you also brought a lot of people in the game. Yeah, and then people forget, like, you brought them in the game and stuff like that. So that's the thing I'm saying, trying to say, like, with this new album, I, I worked with this guy, um, Landon Price. Um, he has a lot of, I liked it, his beats, his music was good to me, and it was also different. Like, I matured, basically, in music, you know, as far as me, you know, making songs lyrical stuff i i get with it still but still it's good to make some songs that you like in your own time of your relaxation i like you know i think me doing an album the way i like to do it sometimes is fun i think i've done everybody's favorite record and you know people want everything from you you know i noticed i've done everybody's favorite album and you know, people want, you know, some people want you to do their favorite hip hop album. Some people want you to do their favorite lyrical album. Some people want you to do their favorite, um, their favorite everything, uh, you know, uh, their favorite collab album. Some people want you to do their favorite artist they want you to team up with. And when you do all that, what happens? You do it and you say, well, I did it for you. OK, everybody should be happy. I did these things. You know, I want to do an album that I want to do sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Right. I want to do an album that I want to do. Like, in this album, I think that I got coming the Saks Fifth Avenue album is good because I think that um, it's an album that I want to do. Sometimes, you know, a lot of artists a time to get into his own thing. You know, it's good to do albums for everybody and stuff like that. But sometimes Keith want to do a record that Keith want to do. You know what I'm saying? Me, I want to do an album for me. Like, I want to do an album that I like. I want to pick the songs I like. I want to change. I want to do something different. I want to rap on something mature. You know, when you prove yourself, you know, you're the lyrical person. You prove that you could be different and distinctive. You could do the weird thing. You know, sometimes you just want to just go straight up and do an album that you like to do. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, that you grow and you want to do a record that you like, you want to do the song the way you like it, the chorus. You know, it's funny, you had rappers that was rapping, you know, now a lot of people turned into commentators, a lot of people judging the music now, and, you know, how, you know, I don't understand it that the world has come to, like, you got magazines that maybe had just started yesterday, right? And they're going to tell you about, like, an album or something. Mm-hmm. Are they judging Chuck D or something? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They don't have the right to judge nobody because, first of all, you came out yesterday. Right. And you might have, like, a few people behind you, maybe a little staff or something, but now you're trying to talk to a dynasty group or a dynasty person or a person that laid so much groundwork before you started, you know, your book or your your um like you said your podcast or you know what i'm saying stuff like that these guys come out and really be disrespectful and then you know that's the new trend now is to diss people um judge their songs and judge what they doing and you don't know how long that person was in the studio working on something and what happened was too i think the industry let too much a lot of crit- criticism get involved and a lot of people have access to the internet and people, you know, by quote unquote, have somebody say they like something or they don't like it or a thumbs up or a thumbs down. You know what I'm saying? You know, that's that's what we have a lot going on is that people let the 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 public determine what is good and what what is bad and they don't know shit about music and what your uncle could get on and actually talk to like a known artist and say something about his music. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You're like, who the fuck is this guy? Your neighbor down the street can go, you know, say something to some an artist that was out way before them or paved the way and made the industry what it is today. They can get up there in the morning and say, you know, I talked to somebody this morning. I said something about they need to tighten up on their lyrics. You know, like, you know, you're like, who the fuck is this? The Internet has democratized everything, including 
expertise. <laughs> yeah, it's like a million expertise when it was one. You know, now it's like eight million people tasting wine. You know, like eight people tasting wine. Like going, oh yeah, yeah, this wine ain't what it is. You know, it, it's it ain't what it used to be. You know, <laughs> the NFL don't let a bum come off the street and try out. True that. Rap does. I stay sharp by going in the studio seeing what everybody is doing. I watch even my nephews and them. It's like I make them rip up their papers when they're in the studio. They ball their papers back up. Like, like that's when you know like you laid verses real good. Like you make them rip their papers up and mm-hmm. start all over again. Or they sometimes even be like, I come back tomorrow and lay my verse or something. I, I don't try to sign nobody into no long-term contract. I never even do contracts. I've taken dudes in the studio and just let them record. And I say, I don't want no paperwork with you or nothing. Because, like, I found out, too, I'm quite sure you probably went through this this a lot. Sometimes people think to be signed to you is that you become their daddy. Mm. Like, you become their father. Like, mm. okay, you're signing me. You're supposed to put me on radio. You're responsible mm. for me getting the magazines. You are my dad. Mm. So a record company today means daddy. It don't mean record company. It means uh, uh, management means daddy. It don't, mm. mean, um, it don't mean company. And, this, and if that's the case, there's a lot of bad parenting going on. <laughs> Exactly. And I never had a daddy because ain't nobody really paid for me to go in the studio and and get songs. Ain't nobody, you know, gave me those options. I I had to do it for myself. Nobody paid for me to go to the studio. Nobody, you know, helped me get a song done, you know, which I've done with, like you said, many artists. You know, I can name them all the way down. You know, tons of artists in California, tons of artists in New York that I've helped. and, And they all can say, one thing I never tried to jerk them or mm-hmm. I had a contract on them that they couldn't get out or I never did that. And I never, I told them, I tell them straight off or off the top. I'm not, I'm not going to be your father. Cause like you said, record company means father. I don't care if you're managing a girl or a guy, it still means father. Mm-hmm. And that means you got to buy my food, breakfast, lunch. You got to change my diapers, my pampers. Hey, you got to give me, you know, take me to the clinic to get my shots and stuff like that because you are my dad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm quite sure you, 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 I mean, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? I know right? what you mean, man. I know what you mean. That shit is, that shit is crazy. That shit and it's is a trap. It's a trip. trap, too, though. It's a trap because if you're an artist and you're looking at them as your end-all, be-all, then you're going to be stuck when they decide not to pay attention. Yeah, and then sometimes it, it can be very bad and then sometimes people feel like they want to um feel bitter or something the people i work with they, they don't do that but like you said some people can change mm-hmm. like that this has been a wealth of information not only into the world of cool keith but also the hip-hop industry and the music industry and we are all looking forward to all of the incredible things that you're going to be doing throughout 2020 so I want to thank you so much once again, man, for all your time and yeah. more importantly, man, for all your art. Yeah, I, I like to thank you too, man, for your support. You know, you didn't never change through the years of, of me knowing you from just in general and from day one and you having the magazine and all your stuff that you've been doing. You've been definitely a supportive and a loyal person. You know, some people start from the bottom and then they change when they get to the top. But like you said, you've been on the straight course from day one. And definitely much respect to Insomniac for their support and the mad editor from day one. And that's what I can truly say about you. You know, a lot of people have progressed and then they change, you know. But like you said, some people started selling bananas. Then they went to selling metal and then they went back to selling apples, you know? <laughs> so you, I, I wait for those people to come back, you know, and then when they sell apples again, they want to talk to you and say, Hey, you know, I'm selling apples, man. I'm going to put you, I want to put you up on these new kind of apples, these new red apples I got. <laughs> but it's funny though. It, it's funny how people are and stuff, how they change through the transitions. Cause I've seen many people in the music industry, they were up in the high seats, when you were sitting in this chair, you didn't have time to talk. 
but now you sit in here, you got a lot of time to talk. You know, they got a thing in the music industry. I know a lot of artists probably went through it and some will get to it. And, and you know what it is. I'm going to tell you what it is. We got a thing that we, I'm, you might keep it in your house. I don't, I might keep some in my house too. Maybe we should do this too. But, um, I think the music business have a way of nurturing you to bullshit you around. Like, mm. you know, they always keep popcorn and Sprite and apple juice in the refrigerator. So when you come up there, they give you a bag of popcorn, microwave popcorn, and they give you soda. They love to offer you soda. You want a Coke? Or you want anything to drink? And then they tell you about some other artists uh, that they got coming out. They're not even interested in what you're doing. So I'm telling you, a lot of people for the future, save yourself away from the popcorn and the soda and apple juice because you will get some soda and popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember this shit to this day. I remember every label meeting I used to go to. You know you know what the first thing when I get in the buildings? I don't care if it was Sony. You know what the first thing they want to do? Get some popcorn. I said, motherfucker, I ain't come here to talk to you about no popcorn. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I remember one time Trev was begging oh, me. He was man. like, um... You know, and I was hot then still doing my own stuff. So Trev tells me, he said, yo, I'm going to come up in the room. Uh, I mean, I'm going to come up, um, meet me downtown. Um, so what happens, I got I got up there. And I'm arguing with Trev on the way there, right? I'm like, Trev, I don't want to go to this meeting and nothing like that. I'm doing my own thing. You know, he said, yeah, you know, he talking about signing us and signing the solo career. And so I'm like, I said, I don't want to go up there, Trev, when we talk about this popcorn shit. So when I got up there, guess what happened? He offers me, so y'all want some popcorn? Juice? <laughs> you know, and, and I, you know what I'm saying? When I see him, you know, when I see motherfuckers, I laugh at it. I tell him that shit to this day when I see him. We know the execs in the music business, but that's what it was about back then. Popcorn and juice. All that shit was popcorn and juice. And I never, you know, I, I don't get off on going to meetings. Some artists want to go sit up in a building you hear somebody play like the tracks they got coming out on their own label and stuff like that. You know, uh, you know, that's why I respect we went Capitol Records, LO7 Self, Malik and Gary Gersh. When I went to Capitol, it was nothing. They was like, yo, we love you, Keith. Um, we want you out here in California. Um, it's going down, you know, get the paperwork and the lawyers together. Let's do this. We ready to make moves. Let's move. Like it was all straight up, you know, I, I, all, everything else to me. You know, then popcorn and juice. <laughs> I love that. That's a good way to wrap up the music industry. Popcorn and juice. Yeah, popcorn and juice. They always keep a lot of them. Um, you know, them packs of popcorn in their little in their little inventory. You know, any business building, you going, you know, would you like some juice and popcorn? <laughs>